<laughs> Extra that- doubt. I've played the fifth. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Speak- we- speaking of intros, though, you've got us onto a roll now. Yeah. Welcome to One Hour Elevator Pitch. I'm Daniel. This is Hugh. We're going to talk a film at you for an hour. How's that? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. I, I, I feel like we've been kind of floundering on the intros too many times. We need like a tight, rigid script because people don't care about the intro after a point. They've heard us say it. Yeah, it's true. Or, you know, half say it and then get sidetracked very quickly. Let's keep on focus this time, however. <laughs> so, what we have today, Hugh here is going to pitch me a one-hour original yes. idea for the first time in the history of the pod. No. We, no, oh, I right. have no clue. I have been given no genre, no titles, nothing. This is a complete tabula rasa, blank slate, I'm scared for my life, let me out this elevator. I did tell you, but you forgot. Probably. <laughs> um, you do <laughs> throw a lot of ideas at me. Yeah. No, uh, you mentioned the post-apocalyptic thing. Yes. But that's still that's not a know. genre, that's a yeah. setting. Oh, okay, fair. But there are so many of them, I almost view it as true, a genre. And true. you're right, this is, this is an original uh, Hugo idea. It's very um, inspired by a lot of other things, as so you can imagine. But on the spectrum, are we Mad Max Fun Explosions? Or are we The Road, Dear God, I'm Glad I Don't Have a Son? The Road, Dear God, I'm Glad I Don't Have a Child. Excellent. Yes, I've, okay. I've gone there. I've, I've been as kind of miserable as it, uh, possible. But there are, it's funny you mentioned Mad Max and The Road, Two very big influences on what I've got okay, going so on here. There will be elements of both. Inf- yeah, as I say, they're strong influences you're on not, this idea. You know, it's just like having lots of children, having lots of passwords, which is why this episode is sponsored <laughs> by Dashlane. <laughs> Easy to use. <laughs> was that was fucking perfect. I love it. Oh, I'm working on the segways. Passwords. Dash Lane, feel free to sponsor us. You know we got you back. Yeah, and as as mentioned, this is an original. And you know, um, the first one um, that I did that was original was very much based in my own past, but turns out also sort of a rip off because there is a short movie called Blood that exists. I found out since. I'm not shocked. It's a strong title. Wide Awake. That's a Katy Perry song. Ouch. <laughs> and The Family is a gangster movie with Robert De Niro um, and Michelle Pfeiffer in it or something like that. And I, I found the poster and I kind of have to show you because it's it's a German shepherd with the words Hitman's best friend on it. Make that a Labrador in a black hat and you've basically got the, the plot of the family. So this got me onto Labrador movies and what are the best Labrador movies. And I found this, which is another poster, which might be my favorite Labrador poster. That's right. It's for the movie Max. Best, Best friend, friend, hero, hero marine. <laughs> he is wearing a staff. He's wearing like, a combat vest. vest. That is that is a dog. <laughs> That's the dog from Metal Gear Solid that pulls the knife out and stabs your enemies for you. D Dark. Wait for it. Max Two, White House Hero. <laughs> he has a medal. He does have a medal. <laughs> and Wait, think- which which one of these characters in the background is the president? Um, I think. It's None not the them. guy in it's dark glasses, and those are two children. Okay. I'm presuming that the dog assume, becomes the no, president. I'm assuming either the dog become the pre- becomes the president, or that child is the president. <laughs> I, I'm fine with either, and that leads me neatly into uh, Max one three. of my favourite. <laughs> <That's Maximum. laughs> Maximum Max. That's for us to pitch in a future episode. Dear God, no. One of my favourite movies in this, um, you said setting, genre, whatever mm. you want to call it, is I Am Legend. Ooh, okay. That's a film I haven't thought about for a while. Ultimate dog movie, in my humble opinion. Also, uh, who wrote it? I feel like it's a book. Yeah, because... Gemini Man book. Mm, Gemini Man is the shitty Will Smith film. I'm thinking I am legend. That's just called Gemini Man. What's it called? Or maybe it's the Omega Man. Omega Man, I think it might be. 
I wanted to say it was either Alpha or Omega, but Omega sounds cooler. Yeah. And Sorry to all the I, I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, hmm. uh, but I couldn't tell you who the author was. I could barely tell you that Wilson it was a book. Was <laughs> you, yeah. you barely know books. Yeah, exactly. I, I did a book once, but that was the only time. Um, I, I am actually reading a book as research for a future episode of this, but that you look as surprised as you should. Anyway, um, you know. Didn't know you could read. <laughs> it's a surprise. And on that note, onto my notes. Okay. Are you ready? Hold on. Now I'm ready. Good. So, this is a pitch for a movie called Sunken. The title card fades away into darkness, and the camera pans across, revealing a small beam of light emitting from a boarded-up window. It sort of moves across into the centre of the shot. You see dust floating in the air, and you slowly hear footsteps approaching from far away, getting louder, and two figures move through the light, the dust swirling in the air behind them. It's a man and a woman, and they're sneaking around what appears to be an old, crumbling office building. There is very little inside, and water drips from the ceiling, pooling in places with dust and grit floating on the surface of the pools, as well as through the air. They reach a large room full of shelves, which hold a small number of cans, some boxes, and what look like uh, cooking supplies. And for the record, there are lots and lots of shelves very few bits left. Okay. The two begin nervously and quietly filling their backpacks. They are interrupted by a shout off screen. They turn and run as fast as they can. Sprinting down a corridor, a group of people have given chase behind them. You can't really see this group, but you can definitely hear them. They're shouting at them. You can hear definitely them. Definitely people. Would yeah. you like pick out words? It would be in like English. Hey, stop sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're running out of places to run at this point. They've been down a number of corridors. They've hit dead ends and gone into um, an office room, and there's nowhere else for them to go. There's a number of glass windows which are, like, caked with mud and muck and dust and crap, and one of them picks up this office chair, or what's left of one, throws it through one of the windows. This causes bright light to pierce the previously very, very dark room. Before the others can catch up with them and get into this room, the two jump and land with a loud splash. They surface and the camera pounds around them to reveal the partially submerged buildings and the ruined skyscrapers of the London skyline. The sky is a vivid blue, blending with the water's edge and sky's beginnings. The sun beats down with glaring intensity as the woman looks up, stunned by the sudden brightness. The man grabs her and they swim away. They swim to a nearby crumbling top of another old forgotten building. Here they have a boat stashed amongst the wreckage. They scramble aboard, cast off and paddle furiously, clearly still panicked. They reach a narrow passage between two buildings. And as they approach the other end, another boat comes round the corner. Four men are aboard, two are stood up, two paddling. The boat draws closer. The standing men are holding makeshift spears. One shouts, return what you stole, and you can go. We won't hurt you. They look down, and then at each other, before reluctantly handing over their backpacks. There is a pause as the two sat in the boat go through the bags. They finish and nod. The spearmen stab the couple out of nowhere, multiple times. Both screaming, they collapse into each other's arms. The boat is pushed away by one of the men, back the way it came, we watch from above as it drifts away. Far away, top of a building, we see an observer 
watching through a broken half of a pair of binoculars. He moves out of frame, and we see him cast off in his own small boat. Gently paddling towards the boat, he doesn't seem worried and is tapping out a rhythm with what appears to be a wedding ring on the oar as he paddles. He reaches the boat, attaches a small rope, jumps across. The first thing he does is remove the man's boots. He ties the laces together and throws them over a rack he has on the back of his boat. He then goes through both people's pockets, throwing some items across, washing their blood from his hands as he goes. He then goes through a number of panels on the side of the boat, finding more and more stuff. He moves the woman's body at the back and lifts a large panel that she was covering. Oh, fuck, he says. Looking up at him, shaking, is a scraggly-looking child, about four, maybe five, six years old at most. The man reaches over to his boat, grabbing a large plastic sheet. He covers the two adults and weighs it down with one of the boat oars. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a rusty harmonica. He sits down and plays a few out-of-tune notes. The child looks up from its hiding space, and the man begins to play. They stare at each other, man continuing to play. The child begins to cry. The camera zooms out and pans down into their reflection before becoming lost in the blue. And I've realised I've forgotten something. That started with chapter one, scavengers, and I forgot to say that because we're about to move into chapter two. But that was chapter one. Okay. So, we're in a flooded London. Flunden, yep. Yeah. That was the working title. No. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> Even you aren't that bad with titles. Which is why Sunken... I was going to go for Sunken London, but that sounds stupid too. There is a book. Hold on. Oh, God. He's getting me more reading. I don't have a physical copy of it. I got rid of most of my books. So... What's it called? I'll uh, take that. I can't remember, but it's a one-word title. And it's like water or wet or rain, something like that. And it is basically climate change floods the world. Yeah. Which is... Which is this, right? Yeah. There is a scene in that because it starts in London. And um, that's at where you're, like, waiting to get to the train station. That's the level it starts at. Okay. And I believe it's the, the flood break um, around the Millennium Dome fails, and that's mm. the start of, like, catastrophe that's, in London. That's in that a book. real concern in the yeah. real world. And um, Oh, I, this is written by one of those science fiction authors who is a scientist. Yeah, so. so there are maps online. One of the things I found while looking through this was a number of articles about what would happen. It's the Thames Barrier, I believe it's called. Yep. If well, London's breaks, on a floodplain. Yeah, absolutely. So. If that breaks, there are maps of what it would look like in minutes after. In terms of, like, the boundaries of the Thames, those burst so far, so wide. And this mm. is... A few steps beyond that. This is That Meets Waterworld. So the scene in that book that I'm immediately like kind of half reminded of mm-hmm. by everything that's happened here, there's a bit where like the people are first, uh, first have to like use boats and dinghies to get around. And there's a scene where one of the protagonists is looking up at the London office buildings and there's like a man in a suit in a high window holding up a whiskey glass at them as they paddle by. Nice. So that's the apocalypse of torrential weather, I guess. Yeah. Which uh, we had about 20 minutes of it this morning, so I can I'm, I'm there. And, yeah, I, I can't remember exactly where I got the idea from. Probably, as always, with all my ideas, sat Somewhere. on the train, bored, probably raining. Mm. Um, Wishing the lines would flood so you didn't have to go to work the next day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. As long as they don't happen while I'm on it. But the idea with this particular flood is that it all happened very quickly and people were not prepared or ready for it. 
And that's why the world is mm. the way that it is in this particular story without going much I mean, further. I mean, most of like the actual sciences it would be pretty exponential, so that's very believable. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not quite day after tomorrow. but No, it's, it's left a lot of um, what was there intact. But mm. the idea is that it's just started rising like maybe a couple of meters a day. And people are already murdering each other with spears. Well, this is some time afterwards. The implication here is that this is a couple of years after. Okay. Maybe there are parts of the country where mm. people would have gone to where there is, you know, land still, or maybe mm. there's other places that they are. But this particular London is very empty and desolate. At this point, I would like to pause the recording so that I can make three predictions. Oh, okay. Because I don't have anything to write them down on like a fancy well, no, phone, just- so I have to use my computer. Okay, I have three predictions made. Okay, cool. They are stored on a notepad document. That's something that would survive flooding totally. Yep. <laughs> Computers. Yeah, that's that's well, that's that's a part of this. Anyway, so cha- chapter two. That was chapter one, which was called Scavengers. Mm-hmm. This is chapter two, Survivors. Okay. The blue that we faded into, obviously we'd have the text, chapter two, big letters on it. That blue turns to black as night falls. We see six or so bright spots emerge from the darkness. They look like cat eyes. The man is paddling away, and the child is at the back of the boat. He is staring at his parents' boat, which they are dragging along on a rope behind them. They pull up at a balcony on a tower block and moor both boats. So this is their like pontoon, their jetty. It's a balcony on a skyscraper. The man walks away. As the boy moves to the parent's boat, opens his hatch and climbs back into his hiding place. The man sees this, shrugs and walks through the room, across Mm. an empty corridor into another room. This room is full of glow-in-the-dark stars, and we see three names also glow-in-the-dark, Mark, Amelia, and Courtney. The camera lingers on these while we hear rustling and the sounds of crockery, cutlery, and the man emerges with various bits and bobs, cans, pots, pan, and he sits on the balcony and makes two bowls of slop out of the contents of these cans, and pulls two fish from a box in his boat, which is full of salt. He sparks up a very basic fire pit barbecue sort of a deal, and begins heating the slop and deboning the fish. Literally like a barbecue rack outside, like a disposable Tesco's barbecue. Kind of. Well, uh, uh, is that re- reposable? <laughs> what I'm imagining is, you know the metal buckets you get for like mopping if you're a janitor? I'm yes. imagining that full of With just whatever charcoal. you could burn. Yeah. There's not going to be charcoal. Oh. Not anyway. And if you can't get charcoal, that's like a one and done type of a deal mostly. So whatever he could find to burn, and that would be like... Small children. <laughs> Potentially. Not yet. Not yet anyway. <laughs> okay, that's one of our predictions. Dash. <laughs> He's not burning the child for firewood, damn it. Sorry, serious film. <clears throat> he, he, he sparked up the very basic fire pit and begins heating the slop and deboning the two fish. He cuts both up and throws one into the broth that he's preparing. He takes the uh, second fish, which is diced, and moves over to the end of his balcony. The cat-eye-looking spots on the water are directly in front of him. He throws the fish chunks just in front of them and watches as they disappear under the surface. He smiles and turns to see the hatch on the boy's hiding place slam shut. Walking back to his broth, he prepares two bowls, knocks on the lid of the box, causing the child to let out a brief, high-pitched yelp. The man laughs and says, I'm not going to force you to come out on nothing, but I made you some fish. It's good stuff, if a bit salty, as long as you eat it while it's hot. The hatch slowly opens, and the child's grubby face peers out. I've set your chair on the edge here, your food's underneath. Are the dead parents still next to it? That was a Covered nod. in the tarp. I was about to say that was a nod, by the way. Yeah. This is an audio format, you. 
Yeah, covered okay. covered in the tarpaulin and okay. the ore over the top of it as earlier. Just checking. Yeah. The man sits on a chair, the other side of the fire to where he set up the uh, spot for the child, and he starts to eat. The child stares at him as he enjoys his meal a little too much, obviously hamming it up a bit to try and get the kid to join him and eat something. He continues to eat as the child climbs cautiously over the balcony. He grabs the bowl and sits in the chair. He is still in silence either overthinking what comes next or more likely still in a state of absolute shock. He slowly slurps at the broth. He looks up at the man who is smiling at him. Good, huh? The child looks down and proceeds to absolutely demolish the meal. The camera cuts away, showing the two lit by the fire on the balcony and the little glimmers on the water surface not far away. Chapter 3, Home. That's a rapid chapter. That's a scene. Maybe I've not said that. So a bit like your one the other day, hmm. there'd be lots of bits of like extended, not much happening. So okay. him preparing this, going through to the kitchen to grab what he needs. Lots of this would take longer than I'm saying it. Yeah. And that sort of goes on throughout this because my notes are quite slapdash. In times they're in more detail, in times they're not. Of course. Um, but any excuse to pad this out, if you wanted to call it that would be taken. But yeah, that is the shortest of my six chapters. Okay. We've got six chapters. Chapter three, Home. I was just about to say is one of them called Home. God damn it. <laughs> uh, wait, I need to guess the other chapter names. Okay. Uh, so three is Home. Mm-hmm. We've gone Survivors. No, Scavengers, Survivors, Home. So they don't all start with S. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> one of them's going to be like Escape. One of them's going to be... I'm, I'm guessing like Capture and Escape is somewhere in there. Uh, that's a smirk. Good. Yep, you got uh, a smirk for that. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what else? Like, uh, like company or town or family, some other group of people. Okay. It's like friendly. Yeah, I'm going to go with that for now. Cool. I'm not telling you anything. Until you get to the chapter titles. Certainly. <laughs> chapter four. Family. Family. <laughs> okay, uh, chapter we're three. in the Wild West, which is also flooded. No. Yes. Um, chapter three, home. The next day, the man and child take the boats out and find themselves near the top of what is clearly St. Paul's Cathedral. Okay. So this is a good chance for a, establishing shots to show that central well, London area. That also helps un- us understand exactly how flooded it is, because if you have a landmark... Yeah. The, I, I reckon most people know St. Paul's Cathedral, even yeah. if they don't know the name. They know it looks a lot like the uh, the Capitol building yes. in Washington. So, so there's a small white dome. Yeah. And that would be mostly out of the water. But you know how tall St. Paul's is. It's a mm. huge building. And the two spires at the end of the church, because all churches are sort of cross-shaped, with that dome being in the middle of the cross, the two spires are at the very bottom. You may not think about them too much because you don't see them, but there are two spires there. The man takes uh, out from his boat. Same man. Yes, sorry. It's them pulling the boat with the um, two deceased parents in. And he pulls out a can of petrol and pours it all over the boat. Oh. The second boat, the one with the parents Hmm. in. And detaches the cable, keeping them together. He lights a match, sets the boat ablaze. And pushes it away with his oar, so it drifts between the two towers of the cathedral. The two okay. stare at the boat as it burns, cackles, and breaks, slowly sinking beneath the surface. Viking burial, a la London. The child sheds a single tear, both are silent. We cut to both of them in the boat, paddling along. The child staring at the water, at the very front, sort of like hanging head over the edge, looking at what's under there. Hmm. And a small fish leaps above the surface. 
Ooh, says the man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The child looks at him, bemused. The man scrambles around, gathering stuff from various shelves and compartments on the boat and pulls out a basic fishing rod and eagerly baits the hook. He casts out and waits, buzzing with anticipation, bombing around and humming as he fishes. The child watches wide-eyed, and the man sees him staring. He looks down and offers him the rod. The child shakes its head, and the man almost forces it into his hands as the rod twitches. They have a bite. Together they manage to bag this fish, and the man throws it into his salt box. He dusts his hand and turns to see the child holding the rod, now pretending to fish. Here, let me show you how I do it. Cut again to the boat, drifting across the water. They're floating on the current, and the man is playing a tune on his harmonica. The tune sounds familiar, and the sharp-eared may pick up on it being a cover of a 90s pop song. Have you got any specific ones in mind? I'm thinking baby one more time. I was going to say, baby, don't hurt me no more. This is the kind of thing that... So, yeah, just to, again, place it timeline-wise. Never going to give you a... That's the kind of stuff he's going to be, like, so, coming back to when these this harmonica comes is out Is this again. because this is an alternate past and this is set close 90s? Or is it because he's an older man? It's because he's an older chap. So, okay. um, you know, we do, like, dream casting or dream cast. Sometimes when we do these elevator pitches, not the uh, Sega console, but who we would have play the roles. Oh, I see. If I could pick anyone for this particular part, the man, Hmm. it would be Hugh Grant. So I want someone old and eccentric and who is like naturally kind eyed. Okay. I think he would smash something like this to pieces. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And there's plenty of other people who would, but that's the dream cast. Which is something, I now that I've thought of that out loud, I think we should do. It, it, the dream cuts. Yeah. Anyway, that led us neat to a uh, cut where, again, the boat is drifting across the water. And as I say, he's playing out, baby don't hurt me, no more, on his harmonica. The child is in the same position, staring across the water. Repositioning, the child looks over and looks directly down. It should be obvious that he's looking for more fish. Hmm. Does he still have the rod? Uh, No, not at this point. Okay. Suddenly the boat rocks and there is a loud thud as as it clearly makes contact with something below the surface, causing the child to lose balance and fall over the edge. The man stops playing his harmonica, looks over. He seems curious but unconcerned. He sees the child spluttering and desperately trying to tread water. The man begins to chuckle before realising that this is serious. He dives in, grabs the kid. Tread water as in like shocked or like can't swim? Can't swim. Okay. Grabs the kid, helps him clamber back into the boat. Slightly short of breath, the man says, So, despite the water being like this everywhere, Hmm. somehow you can't swim. I could hear the Hugh Grant. There's a breaking through. No, says the child. Okay, that's his first line of the movie, if Mm. I'm not mistaken. The man thinks for a second before returning to his usual chipper attitude. I won't do it at all. Lucky for you, I know the perfect place. The two pull up the boat and secure it to a big, flashy-looking building, all glass and concrete. Despite it clearly having seen better days, you can tell this place was fancy back in the day. The two make their way up a sweeping, spiral staircase. There's a rooftop pool, isn't there? <laughs> Here and there, there are odd <laughs> discarded trinkets. The man investigates various things, and he's obviously looking for stuff that could be useful as he goes. Mm-hmm. They reach the top, and there's a suitcase that he spots. It's wedged between the staircase railings. He retrieves it by pulling with all his might and almost falls over backwards, losing his balance. He goes to open it as a padlock with a combination. He shrugs and 
hangs on to it for later. They walk down the sort of landing, if you like. It's mm. all sort of browny red and gold again. It's very ostentatious. And there's a big set of double doors which swing open as they push through. The roof has a swimming pool. And it's in remarkably good nick. Bit of algae on the sides, but otherwise, good as new. Hmm. Better than the water around. Not there. full of corpses. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which would be the one thing you'd be worried about in a situation like this. I have a question that I will ask at the end of this. Okay. That is related to that statement in a way. Cool. So yeah, a little bit of algae on the side, but otherwise good as new. The man drops his bag and the suitcase, removes his ragged old jacket and shirt. The child stares intently at the faded image on the back of the jacket, which shows a zebra, a lion, and a, a large bird and a fish. Now, quick pause on where we're going with this, because... I'm in two minds as to whether or not to leave the words London Zoo underneath. Sure. Why not? Faded, but you can see it. It's yeah. it, Again, the kid's staring at the fact that there's these weird creatures that he's never seen before rather than the fact that it says London Zoo. He doesn't know, or it doesn't know what a zoo is. Okay. The child is supposed to be sort of gender neutral. It's not supposed to be specified as he. I keep saying he, but that's an accident, and I'm sorry. It doesn't really okay. matter. Yeah. The child. The child. And so far, they uh, they have one line, so... Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly um, too difficult to cast. No, absolutely. It's all about, again, eye emotion, eye mm. acting. So that would be the thing that I'd look for there. And I can't think of... You there, kid. Look traumatised. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, don't make me actually kill your parents, but that's so dark. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't make me Batman you yeah <laughs> um, but yeah you know um, what's that from where there's a kid who gets orphaned and, and someone like counselling and trying to make them feel better goes do you know who else was an orphan Batman you can be Batman now <laughs> and the kid's just there crying um, <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> I feel like it's Robot Chicken or something stupid like that hmm. anyway they're going for a swim the adult in the pool already is like hey come over here and walks down the steps into the pool, lowers himself into the water, kicking away from the edge and floating on his back. First thing to learn about swimming is floating. Once you know you float, the rest is easy. It's actually harder to sink, unless you panic. So rule one of swimming is don't panic. And this is all delivered while floating on his back in the pool. He then stands up, revealing the shallowness of this water. The child reluctantly steps forward and tries to copy him. Hmm. At first, failing, clearly panicking and spluttering, but finding its feet and getting ready to go again, the child eventually gets the hang of it. And we cut to an overhead shot of the two floating in the green pool on the grey and red building, surrounded by bright blue water. You wanted to say something about the pool and it being full of corpses. Go. So, my question so far. Mm. Where is everyone? London is one of the most densely populated cities in the world. Mm. It is the most densely populated city in this country. Yep. Where is everyone? Even if they were all dead, mm. they'd float it up. So it's not like they're all at the bottom of that ocean. So what I'm imagining mm. is mass exodus because of the floods. Which is what I alluded to earlier. And there's a few scavenging groups left behind. There's clearly no law outside of people shanking each other with spears. So far, we have seen one incredibly hostile group, mm -hmm. one neutral group i guess who tried to rob a place that's not really host well that is it's surviving but that's technically a hostile act so we'll call them neutral mm -hmm. um and then we've just got hugh grant dicking around enjoying 
the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, so it's the... With his alluded to dead family, yeah, I should point it's, out it's, also. It's, so it's not all it's not, not all uh, fun and games. Is it BoJack Horseman where the joke is, uh, sometimes the happiest people are actually the most depressed? Oh no, I seem very happy. I could be very depressed. That's where this is kind of going and you'll okay. see more of that and... I'm going to full-on hit that nail right on the head, probably in this next bit, if I remember rightly. Chapter four. No, no, not yet. This okay. is still chapter three. <laughs> chapter four, lack this, of medication. <laughs> this is the um, end of chapter three. Okay. And they return to the man's home, just before nightfall, and follow the same routine, although now the child is following the man, watching his every move, and where possible, trying to imitate him, helping to blow on the fire as they stir the broth. So you can imagine, the adult goes and stirs, walks away to do something else, and the child picks up and stirs mm. in his place. And the child sees the man throw half the fish into the water, just like last time. Why do you throw away the fish? Because those guys out there are my friends, just like you. I look after all my friends. It's easy now that there are so few of my friends left. And the man hangs his head with chipper attitude defeated by everything that has brought him to this moment. The kid comes up to him and looks out over the water. We see those shining dots again, then fade to nothing as they turn and leave. Bye, friends, says the kid, waving. The kid looks up at the man. There's a pause. Food top? The man smiles. Well, then what are we waiting for? They sit to eat. And the camera again pans out across the water in front of them. The same shot as previous. Hmm. Slowly fading to black. Chapter four. The search. None of your predictions right on that one. Shame. We've still got two chapters to go. We do. And they're still going to be wrong. The man is frantically going through his supply cupboards throwing used tins and things over his shoulder as the child peers in to see what all the fuss is about. Bugger, exclaims the man. Bugger, says the kid, who then claps and jumps. No, 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 don't say bugger, kid. It's not a good word. K, says the child, looking down at their feet sheepishly. So, we go fishing now, says the child. Yeah, says the man, clearly distracted. Let's, let's go fish. Cut to the child in the same position we've seen a few times now, hanging over the edge, looking through the water. He bolts up. No fish, says the kid. Keep looking, says the man. The sky is still the same piercing blue. We see a flock of grey birds fly past them. That's a bad sign, says the man. Why? The kid responds. They are running, either from or to something. Either way, it's probably not good. Running, that's not right. Ha <laughs> ha, all right then, smarty pants. Right you are, flying. The kid smiles and continues to look for fish. The man frowns, as in the far distance he sees movement. On the water, or? Nondescript movement in a very, very far distance. And it's probably on the water, considering, not under mm. the water. Well, I was thinking if it's birds, it could be like storm clouds or something. No, no, okay. it's something small on the horizon. Okay. He quickly paddles them away, and they hide the boat in the shadows behind a building and watches another boat goes by. The man sighs and looks at the kid. Listen. People are trouble. Trust me on this. Avoid them whenever possible. The kid nods. He knows this already. Hmm. My parents are dead. Yep. Darkness. Da, 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 da. No parents. Anyway, cut to them back at home. And we find them eating a couple of old protein bars. They have one each. They eat in silence. But when they finish, the kid says, It's okay. We'll find fish tomorrow. Yeah, of course we will. But if not, I have a plan. It's a stupid plan. And I will need your help. Okay, what's our plan? We cut to the two, drifting towards a large building top. Chapter five, the plan. 
<laughs> and breaking in through the windows. The two then tear through the place looking for any trace of food. We then progress through a sort of montage of them doing this in four or five different locations. And we cut to their mediocre hall laid out on the boat floor. Hmm. Can of corn, a half-empty first aid kit, two Mars bars, a packet of micro rice, and four sachets of mustard. He throws the kid one of the Mars bars. Here, eat this before it melts. Thanks. The kid eats it as if he's never had chocolate, as if it's never had chocolate before. The man eats half the other bar and looks up to see the kid staring intently at what's left of his chocolate bar. He smiles and throws the kid what's left of his Mars bar, and he starts to paddle them away. They then head into another building, where they very quickly realise they are not alone. They're about to leave, but the man sees these strangers are clearing out what looks like a canteen or cafe's storage area. From the amount they have, must have been untouched until today. There are two of them, and they are wearing scarves around the lower halves of their head, so tops exposed, scarves over their mouth, nose, hmm. sort of area, etc. One is taking stuff from the storage room, the other is clearly taking it down to whatever their transport is. The man gestures for the child to stay still, as he edges closer to the one remaining scarf guy. There are five boxes, and as the scarf guy's both turn and head away from the pile, he dashes in silently, grabbing one of the boxes, and the kids sneak out and make their way back to the boat. The boxes mark chicken noodles, 40 packets, will clearly last them some time. We see the two scarf guys meet up and one points at the pile. His partner shrugs, but the other looks Counts away. on his fingers, wait a yeah. second. <laughs> the other looks away very suspiciously, and the camera fades to black. I like, I like the final image of that maybe rather being... Um, like panning down to the like dust caked, muck grimed up floor and just big footprints. Yeah, because they clearly know, or at least the, the one, one of them. Does. One of them cares, the other doesn't. They both know. Yeah. Chapter five, the tribe. I was close. You were close. I was close. I wasn't expect. See, I wasn't expecting it to be like full. Like, I, I mean, you've used the word right, tribalism, right? Because. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that the fall of civilization would take more than a couple of years, but tribe, that works. What is the title card for this one, by the way? Because you've had a title card like image each time. Um, so this would be in the footprints, which fade away to share the front of the home, the balcony, and he comes out with two packs of noodles. And some time has clearly passed. Kid looks taller. The man's scruffy hair is now pulled into a ponytail, and at some point he clearly trimmed his beard back. And he looks over at the kid with his usual smile, saying, It's been good. We've eaten like kings, but this is our last noodle night. For real? Yeah, for real. Okay. Kid stirs the pot. The man adds the noodles. They sit and eat. We cut to off in the far distance, where we can see over the shoulder of a stranger watching them from the darkness. The next morning, the two set out, and are doing the usual thing, drifting along. As the kid searches, the man's playing a rough cover of a pop song on his harmonica. Fish, fish, yells the boy as he sees something under the water. Oh, yeah, says the man as he manoeuvres to the middle of the boat. He peers into the depths and is grabbed by someone below the surface who drags him under. The boy yells as the man and the attacker surface, the man struggling and yelling. A second attacker swims up behind him, whacks him over the head with a small club. Ball on the end of a stick, essentially. Basically. Boom. And they drag him away. Through the the water? Yeah. Okay, the mermen have it. Got it. Mermen have him, and the child is alone in the boat. 
He sees them leaving in a boat of their own, and he grabs the oar at the back. It's heavy, but he paddles after them with all his strength. Cut. It's dark now, and the kid is still paddling, clearly exhausted and very lost. He takes a break, panting heavily, tears streaming down his face, or its face again, non gender specific on the child here, sorry. No, you've, you've said it. You can, you can make as many mistakes as you want. Oh, thanks. We hear a blood-curdling scream ring out across the water. The child looks up, panic, paddling as hard as possible towards it. We see a building with light coming from the windows, and the child attaches the boat to a nearby building swimming mm. over. He sneaks through. Again, it's mostly empty. This building, however, he comes to a large room. It's a few floors up. It looks like it used to be a conference hall or restaurant or something like that. Big open round room. And there is a roaring fire pit in the center of the room. Seven or eight men, all of whom have these same scarves around their faces. Looking closer, the child sees that they've gathered around the fire and are cooking something on a spit. It is a human leg. A Hugh man, man leg. leg? Oh, not Hugh Grant. Cannibalism wasn't on my list of predictions. I'm disappointed in myself. Me too. One of them moves forward with a sharp filleting knife. And, or filleting knife, sorry, and starts to carve. filleting off. knife? Come I on. said filleting knife. Filleting knife. Filleting knife. A sharp knife. Yes, one of them has one of those sharp knives with a hook on the end and starts carving pieces of charred flesh, handing it off to the others. They pull down their scarves as they go to eat, revealing that they all have this slit cut into their top lip, permanently revealing their teeth. Makes them look like absolute animals. Okay. They eat like animals too. Okay. The kid is very shocked by all this, but pushes on. His friend must be nearby. Hmm. Seeing one of the tribe leave a room to the side of things, deciding that's the best place to go, sneaks around, gets it. Plastic cuffed to a radiator at the back of the room is the man. Unconscious. Missing a leg. Only a bloody burnt stump where his leg used to be. Oh, burnt. So they were kind enough to cauterize it. Well, they want to make their meat last. Oh, okay. Understandable. These are, these are some, these are some, some kind civilized, cannibalism. Civilized cannibals, yeah. yes. Yeah. No, sensible. Civilized cannibals. Yes. Anyway, uh, the kid runs up, gives him a big hug. He coughs as he awakens. You should leave, he says. No, says the kid. We should leave. He finds a large bloody knife on the table nearby and uses it to cut the ties and free the man. The kid tries to help him, but it's not enough. However, the nearby table that this knife was on has wheels. So helping the man out and pushing him onto the table, he pushes it down the corridor and they reach the point that they were at, sneak out. Once they reach this edge and jump into the water, the man becomes much more mobile. Hmm, arms. Despite the missing leg, as you say, arms. Oh. And they reach the boat, and the kid paddles them away. The man slumps down in front of the boat. I can't believe you came all this way for me. Because you're my friend, and I look after all my friends. The man smiles. Cut back to the room that he was being held in. The door swings open, and one of the tribe moves in and then stops. Cut to black. Chapter 6. The kid dies. <laughs> Chapter six. The kid dies. Stop it. <laughs> Chapter six. They both die. Friends. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. I'm now uh, in the cinema, in that dark room with everyone else, having an uh, anxiety attack as to what's about to happen. Mm. The man awakens. It's daytime. He's dead. Some, <laughs> somehow he's, somehow he's dead. Start again. <laughs> the man awakens. He woke up dead. Um, no, he awakens and it's daytime. And somehow, home. He goes to stand, instantly falling over, forgotten about his one-legged situation straight off the bat. That's a Hugh Grant thing to do. The child comes running in and helps him back onto the bed. You're awake? Yeah. Are you okay? A little wonky and sore, but I'm all right. The child gives him a hug and runs off. The man sits and looks down at his stump and then up at the ceiling, letting out a sigh of despair. Cut to outside where the child is making food and the man stumbles out onto the balcony. The boy sees him struggle and brings him the oar from the boat. It's the perfect height and strength to be used as a crutch. Thanks. Imagery. The boy nods and goes back to the pot. He goes over to the boat and pulls out a decent-sized fish, which he debones, dices. When did you... How long have I been at, How long have I been out? How long have I been asleep? Two days. Two days? Yeah, two days. Two days. The man slumps back into his chair. Some time passes. The kid continues to prepare the food. I feel like a Hugh Grant line there would be, no wonder I'm so fucking hungry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Instead, I once had a friend who had an accident at our work. Wound up a bit like this. At first they thought they wouldn't be able to do anything, let alone the job that they loved. It had been taken away from them. But they got this thing called a prosthetic, and it meant that they could walk, swim, and even run, almost as good as they used to. The man looks up to see the child throwing um, half the fish off the balcony. The man smiles and leans back in the chair. The rest of the fish goes into the pot. As they are eating, we see movement on the horizon. Hey, kid, you, you see that? We cut to a shot between the two boats. Eight men are aboard. The man stumbles into his home, panicked, rummaging through the top of the out-of-reach kitchen drawers. He pulls down two large bottles, rips one of the kitchen cloths in half, making two wicks stuffing mm-hmm. them on the top. Returning to the balcony, bottle in each hand, well, hopping back to the balcony, it's very obvious that this is the tribe. There are the scarves. Mm. I'm imagining them as yellow and red and very vibrant, like orange. Tribal but also venomous snake colours. Because that's sort of the thing they've got going on with their whole pierced reptilian lip-looking thing where they've done the extreme body modification to make themselves look like monsters. Okay, what you're saying is these are London City supporters? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Millwall. <laughs> no, that's how... <laughs> actually, that's kind of good. They're just they're just football they're, they're football That's hooligans. how I imagine. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're all Millwall fans. I think that says a lot more about me than it does about anyone who actually... <laughs> that was a joke, people. Football's yeah. fine. But hooliganism is wrong, unless it's in a movie like The Football Factory or Green Street, at which point we can accept it for cinematic purposes. Absolutely. Hmm. Football Factory is a damn good film. I haven't thought about that in a while. Anyway, uh, movement on the horizon. Two boats, eight people, four in each boat. So Mm -hmm. we've seen this particular setup in the boats before, very, very early on. For our first scene. The first scene occurred. Um, The first sequence, I should say. Yeah. And maybe part of that cinematography-wise would be that the sun was behind them, so it was hard to see mm. the like obscured faces that they had, or if they weren't obscured, that they had this weird... So how we look at the moment, because it's, it's, it's late, he's got the fire on his balcony, do they have lights on their boats to like reveal themselves and be it's, intimidating, it's or dusk. is it just... It's, okay, so it's um, like twilight, there's, there's like a, a, an a orange sun in the sky. Hue in the sky, let's okay. call it. 
so many Hughes in this film. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Written by Hugh, starring Hugh, Hugh featuring Hugh, the Hugh of the Hughes. song. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, so, yeah, not the derailed climax. He's got two bottles, one in each hand, um, or maybe that thing where you've got like the bottles between your two fingers so mm. you can keep hold of the oar in the other hand. Yeah. Not thought too much about it, but that's a thing. Stumbles back onto the balcony, and those guys in the boat are now very close by, less than 30 metres. Are they He's yelling, like, screaming? You can imagine that at the moment, um, mm. weirdly, they're slowly starting to rile things up. And yeah, they're shouting, they're screaming, they're hissing. That's one of their big things. Okay. Um, Definitely. <laughs> I can't say it. I'm sorry. He uses the fire pit to light the wick on one of these things. Hmm. Launches it at one of the boats. Miss it. How, how badly? Are we talking about the mess? Relatively badly. It's because he loses footing. Yeah, yeah. And obviously he's not used to... Well, because it's... To be fair, 30 metres is just a fucking this throw. Well. Yeah, and his right leg is the one that's gone. So he's right-handed. Yeah, so his pivot point is gone. So that's why he misses. So to do the second bottle, he... Left hands. Yeah, he, he left hands. He uses his right to brace himself against the balcony and his left is his um, sort of swivel point. They're about maybe 10 metres away. They've closed the gap because there's been again build up he's taken a while making this throw but he's still fucked it up and he's got himself ready to make the second yeah the wick's lit he's got the second ball he's repositioned himself they're very very close Hmm. all eight of them hissing screaming shouting pull down their masks revealing their horrific horrible facial features with the split lips okay all of them start hissing at the same time drumming on the side of the boat, just making themselves seem as horribly football hooligan-y as possible, but with an emphasis on this in-tune hiss that they're all doing. You'd cut between the various members at this point and these close-ups and then cut back to the child who is quite terrified Hmm. and the man trying to steady himself, getting ready to throw this bottle, this fire bottle in his hand, which is pretty much his last chance. Hmm. And... Even best case scenario won't one, be enough. Yeah, we'll hit one boat. He throws the second fire bottle and it smashes straight into one of the heads of these horrible fuckers. Good. Engulfing them and the one next to them in flame and spreading across the boat. The two others who weren't impacted jumping over the sides. I would assume the ones on fire also jumping into the water if they can, or at yes. least one of them. Yeah, at least one of them. The other three jump into the water to hmm. extinguish the flames and get away from it and the second boat reaches the balcony he smashes the first tribesman trying to board with the oar causing it to splinter in two and the man loses his balance stumbling backwards one leaps over the balcony and starts to choke the man the child shoves another back who as he's climbing over he's got that perfect point to make him lose balance Hmm. and kicks the boat away a little bit because it's not attached or anything like that even the child just putting yeah. both, both their feet out over the balcony and just hoofing it okay. causes it to push away a little bit buys them a little bit of time there's one on the balcony the other th- um, it throws three more balance it, I guess, as well. on the boat mm. two of them one's been knocked back with the oar one's been pushed off balance by the kid and the other one's let's say at that point was at the back sort of piloting if you like yeah so we've got one on the balcony three on the boat Three in the water, one on fire still, let's say. Why not? So, yeah, the child shoves the other back, kicking the boat away, Mm -hmm. and they have to paddle back and make contact with the balcony, and this time they hook on. 
the child picks up the uh, knife that they've been using. He's been using. Sorry, they've been using to chop the fish. Stabs the tribe member in the leg who's choking the man, hmm. and it gets left stuck in. Tribe member yells out, backhands the kid to the floor. The man punches the handle of the knife, digging it all the way into his leg. That's a Tribe member screaming and falling backwards. Hmm. The man grabs the kid, who comes back and he's a little do- do- sorry, dazed. He's a little dazed. Hmm. And they sort of balance off each other. And they're trying to get back inside off of this balcony, essentially. So hopefully at this point, we've maybe I've not made it clear, but this balcony is quite big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's enough room for them to hang out and cook on it and stuff. Yeah. Use it as a jetty pontoon type of a thing. So it's this... not it's not a council block. It's like a quite nice. Yeah, like absolutely. How can I put this? Like a, it's it's an upper middle class block yeah, of flats. It's absolutely. not like it's not like got penthouse suites or anything, but no. it's it's decent. It's decent. Yeah. So there's there's room for it. Feels it feels like the kind of place that maybe he couldn't actually have afforded, but moved in there. As like his power move in the end of the world, or well, that's offset by the children's names in the room. So, is it? That's not confirmed. Anyway, oh, moving on. Maybe they're not his kids. They're the per- the kids of the people who used to live there. Maybe who knows? Oh, it's such intrigue and mystery behind Hugh Grant, man. So the other two tribe members climb onto the balcony, and the man pushes the child into the building, slamming the door, breaking the handle. Wait, wait. On on his side, snapping it off. Because it's like one of these plastic slide doors, is how I imagine it. Why am I waiting? Go on. I'm just imagining the amount of strength it would take to break a door handle off. Do you know what these... Like, so the one on my door out back, right? If you yank that upwards hard enough, you could probably crack it off just because of the way that they're built. I don't think... Okay, do okay. So it, you can just... And also, he's throwing all of his weight into this. Yeah, it's, it's just justifying that he's slowing them down. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm nitpicking. Carry on. No, no, that's fine. Nitpick away. Of all the details to nitpick, though, door handle integrity is pretty low on my yeah, list. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Lot, there's a lot more stuff happening than that. Um, Back to Millwall. The tribe guys pull out these rudimentary shivs okay. and launch towards the man. He dives out of the way. They sort of lunge, miss. They maybe bump into the door, but... Hmm. As much as the handle's very flimsy, somehow oh, the rest... so he's still on the balcony. He's pushed the kid in, and slammed the, the door. door, and broken it so they can't get to the kid. Yeah. Okay, that was not clear. It made You made it sound like they've both gone through. I'm okay, sorry, now I'm, I'm, I'm rushing it. No, it's, it's one versus seven, point two. five, if the guy's on fire. Currently one versus two. The but on the balcony, there's currently one versus two. Well, one okay. versus two and the other one who's on the floor with this knife in the leg going, Okay. Ah! <laughs> Hugh Grant, you think that hurt? Look at my leg, bitch. <laughs> Absolutely. A little bit of uh, poetic justice there. Sure. Um, basically, he jumps out of the way of these two as they lunge towards him and ends up near the far edge of the balcony and they lunge towards him again. He catches one of the blades, but the other's knife shiv slowly starts to go into his gut because he's sort of blocked both mm. of them, but there's not much he can do. Wait, hold up. I think I may have gone through this bit through a, a bit too quickly, which is one of the reasons that I'm a little sort of lost and confused. When the uh, tribe guy with the knife in his leg has it punched and stumbles backwards, hmm. he does fall over the edge as well. Okay. That's something I meant to establish and forgot. That's fine. Apologies. I so, assumed he was incapacitated out of it anyway, so only actually He's incapacitated into the water. But there's that knife is also out of play. Yes. Okay. That's, that's um, you know, there's only two... Shivs. Weapons on on this particular engagement. One is currently digging into his gut slowly. The other one he's holding uh, away back. from his face, yeah. and they're up against the sort of 
balcony, balcony rail. railing. Yeah, that's it. The railing collapses. Okay. And they fall into the water. Separated during the fall, they are fully submerged and blood is spewing into the blue from the man's wound. Hmm. The tribe men once again close on him, with the closer to grabbing him. As he pulls his knife backwards, ready to plunge down, we see something moving in the blue behind him before he is pulled away into the depths. The Hugh man or the enemy? The enemy. Okay. The tribeman. He's got a pet fucking shark, hasn't he? <laughs> it's just the man and the last <laughs> tribe member left. They swim up to the surface and are encircled by crocodiles. That's better. <laughs> the light's glinting off one of the croc's eyes. These are the yeah, little dots yeah. that have been moving around that they've been feeding. The three crocs behind the man, Hugh Grum, swim past him and all six close in on the last tribesman. No, no, no. He barely has time to scream before he's pulled under the water, torn to shreds. They do the bloody death roll on him. Yeah. The man paddles back to the balcony, attempts to pull himself over the edge, but due to his wounds, he's struggling. You hear the door open. The handle was broken on one side, but not the other. Okay. And the child comes out, helps him up onto the ledge. They fall back, and the child runs off straight away. The man takes a minute, trying to catch his breath, holding onto his wound, which is, again, it's in his gut, it's just above his stomach. It's bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. The child is right back at his side, tears streaming down his face as he slowly hands him the first aid kit they found before. Thanks. He smiles and takes the kit from the child. And we cut to that same faraway shot of the balcony that we've had. Burning boat, water, blood red. Very happy crocodiles. And the balcony is absolutely trashed. Hmm. And we cut to black. As a harmonica gently starts to play the tune of Mr. Tambourine Man by Bob Dylan. Which transitions into the real song and our credits roll. One of my predictions may have been correct. Excellent. Because that's an ambiguous ending. Yes. My three predictions Go. assumed a much larger scale story. I like the first one. Scale. The first one was some kind of floating village or city. Yeah. Eh. Second was that a man with some form of aircraft would be incredibly powerful in this setting. So like a helicopter or a plane. True. Eh. Third, you gonna, the obvious one. What are you going to run it on, though? So the reason they've all got these boats and none of them are like motorboats is, and this so, is the thing that I've maybe not been specific enough about. Let me, let me scale it down. A man with a solar-powered drone okay, for okay. delivering things. Cool. That is a cool idea. But you could do it. The whole thing about this is it's supposed to be super lo-fi. Everyone's mm. been cut back. Yeah, to that's what I'm saying. I was sensors. imagining a, a larger scale mm. to the to the so story. In terms of the timeline, what you were saying before is potentially it's an alternate um, mm. future or ultimate past history. Or ultimate history. Kind of yes, kind of no. So the idea is that if London flooded tomorrow, mm. this story could occur in 20 years. Okay. So, so there's, there's it's abandoned. At this point, like almost yeah. entirely. Like you said, yeah. that's the reason why it's so empty. There are only people. There's new London somewhere up in the fucking Peak District or something. Maybe. Hmm. They've probably got their own problems. Oh, I mean, climate change at that speed would, would not stop anytime soon. So. so if you're thinking about St. Paul's being like up to its neck, let's call hmm. it, 
One detail that I quite liked, by the way, mm. you presented this as like a scorching hot, no clouds in the sky wasteland, mm. which would be accurate if the fucking ice caps were gone. Yeah. So I, I, I dug that. Which is, that ties back into the real mm. science of it. But again, I did a little bit of research. You skim read Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, was... <laughs> Sorry, that's me translating what you mean. <laughs> I watched one... a couple YouTube videos. Yeah. There was, there was one particularly good um, article about exactly that. What mm. if the ice caps melted? What would happen to London? Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's where I've taken the whole, there is basically no weather mm. except extreme heat. Yeah. And part of me was thinking like... Um, and the like, what would be left of the Gulf Stream would be spreading up through that area as well. So it would be toasty. So that ties into the whole why he's wearing the London Zoo jacket thing. That was mm. his job. That's very much yep. implied. He trained crocodiles. He was a crocodile trainer. Of of all and the skill do, sets to go into the apocalypse well. with. <laughs> they do really well in that kind of scenario. That <laughs> setting would be croc friendly. I also like the fact that you mentioned, yeah, one of my mates who worked there got his leg eaten by crocodiles. <laughs> so my third prediction, mm-hmm. let me read it word for word. <clears throat> Kid has to sacrifice the quote-unquote dad to survive or vice versa. Not quite what happened. Kind of. That's pretty No, close. no. There's there's a very important distinction that I made here. The kid didn't choose to sacrifice oh, okay. the dad. No. The dad chose to sacrifice himself. Yes. I use dad in air quotes, obviously. Yes. Well, so, we're dealing with a road-style situation here. He's adopted father. Adoptive, sorry, I should say father. Mm. Sure. So, give me a sec to compress all that. Ambiguous ending. Yeah. Do you care as the person who's come up with this if he's dead or not? As the person who's come up with it? Mm. Um, Do you want the the ending to be he's dead but he's taught the kid well so the kid is able to move to his own like new place maybe and sort out and survive and like you know maybe they get maybe the crocodiles like follow him or whatever and he's he's a new new kid on the block of post-apocalyptic London or is it the case that you know now he's stuck looking after this very ill very severely wounded and now handicapped in multiple ways Hugh Grant like it's it's kind of bleak either way both work really well yeah but that, that's not important that's not what yeah, the exactly. story is in this particular version okay if someone comes to me and said do a sequel right. I would probably lean more into the one that you said second which is mm. I, I really like the idea of not that we've had stories about families looking after uh, yeah, <laughs> sick exactly. parents recently exactly, exactly. but um, I, I like the idea of um, this being a very sort of messagey type of a movie and I think climate that- change would make crocodiles eat poor people <laughs> The movie. <laughs> the movie. Um, they're, they're not poor. They've, 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 um, they're just cannibals who've yeah. cut their faces open so they look like actual monsters. I, I was waiting for you to say they're all wearing blue ties or something, you know. There's there's, 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 there's some uh, messages hidden in there, I'm sure, that people would love to dissect all day every day. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I've said day six times in that one sentence. One of the cannibals is played by Charlie Day. Fine by me. He'd do great. Hey, that's a good guy. He was missing a leg and now he's got my fucking ears. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look at the spike on the audio wave. You, you be Jesus. <laughs> we need to put a fucking headphone warning at that point. That's well, brutal. I can, I can always cut that out. Yeah. We've, we've reached our hour. What was your third and final prediction? Oh, no. Uh, Floating City was one. Oh, okay. Man with plane or aircraft was second. Okay. Kid sacrificing the dad was third. Cool. Yeah. No, those are all, three pretty solid predictions. All slight, like... That's ideas for the sequels. Yeah. You've got the person who's gone from dinghy to floating house. Hmm. Or like tent on a raft, you know? 
I've remembered got grown men. one of the things that um, was tied into the original idea of this as I sat thinking about it on the train or wherever I was. Uh, I, I've just made one note, which is modern day Noah. I know he's not okay. actually loads of animals, but yeah. that's where this spiraled from. That's where the whole the guy works at the zoo. Mm. He looks after a kid. He's the only good person left in this horrific wasteland of flooded London. Okay. Hmm. I hadn't even picked up on any kind of biblical element to it, I guess. Well, my original but flooding title, the world is is the, one of the early Bible stories. My working title before I settled on sunken. Hmm. I was, was going to talk about the title, the last great flood. Mm. But I felt that was too biblical, and it turned away from what this actually is. Which also is- calling it the last is a bit mm. presumptuous. <laughs> yeah, because if let's say that this scientifically speaking. If the Earth is entirely submerged, all landmass submerged, eventually it would tick far enough away from the sun to start freezing up again. Sure, landmasses would reoccur. No, no, humanity would be fucked. But yeah. there would be other so floods afterwards. So that's where I was coming from with yeah. the last great flood, and again that tied into okay. the Noah, Noah origin of this idea. So I have one thing about the title "Sunken." Yeah, is that most of it isn't. Because it's technically about like tower rises, tower block rising out yep. of the water. So it's not it, it's submerged, but it's not sunken. And it's that is a nitpick. Very good. I feel like that title. I don't know, sunken. It's it's part of my whole rule of you should always have um, either loads and loads of words or just one if you're if you're doing a movie title. It should be the something. And I, I wanted to do the flood. But then I found out that The Flood is literally a movie that exists mm. where London floods. Ah, that is a minor issue. So, I mean, it's going to probably be quite different from this, from what I've seen. It looks much more like you said earlier, oh, so this is a slow burn rather than a day after tomorrow type situation. Mm. The Flood movie that exists... Is day after tomorrow. It's the day after tomorrow. Yeah. It's tidal waves crashing through Al-Gore. London. Because The Flood is what I probably would call it, given... Um, Free complete license. Yeah. yeah. But I quite uh, like Sunken as well, because most of it is... Not all of it, sure, but most of it. Also, sounds a bit like Sun Kin, like yeah, yeah. I, I was I was going to make a joke earlier. Right? Is it spelled S O N? Well, it would be Children of the Sun, Sun Kin. Okay, maybe that's a bit far as well. Though. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I've super tried, far. I've tried my best to think of cool titles, and I'm struggling a little bit. So, if you can come up with something great in the next five minutes while we wrap this up, please shout. I'll just go through a couple of quick influences, if you like. Is the first one the story of Noah? <laughs> Well, I've already mentioned that one. Yeah. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Don't know what that is. So um, you may know that movie is Shogun Assassin, which is where exactly that, the Shogun's assassin, hmm. um, basically has to protect his kid because the Shogun orders for his whole family to be murdered and gets away with most of it. Wife, two eldest die, but his baby. It's a bit like The Mandalorian. I was about to say we that, have been watching The Mandalorian recently. and I, the head, this is That heavily is influenced. So, mm. um, so in, in Mandalorian, he's got the baby yeah. Yoda, the wee baby Yoda, in a little like pod thing, which is its crib. Mm. In Lone Wolf and Cub, the Literally. samurai has the baby in a crib and is doing sword fights while the baby is in the crib rolling down a hill. So he has to try and chase it, catch up with it and stuff. It's a great fucking yeah. movie. I highly recommend anyone who even slightly enjoyed The Mandalorian to watch Lion Wolf and Co. Oh, sorry. The abridged version is called Shogun Assassin. Hmm. That's like these five movies that exist yeah. um, condensed into one story. Interesting. Uh, or it's the first two that are Shogun Assassin. Either way. Because that movie series, there are like five or six Lone Wolf and Cub movies, and one of them, it's like, this is the snow movie. 
after they spent the last movie going through the desert, they then do one that's strictly in the snow and it's all very tied into the setting a lot of the time. Mm. And as I think it's the first two that get condensed into the... And this was the one that was released on our side of things in America and Europe, Shogun Assassin. And it is mega violent as well. It's proper, like, blood spurting everywhere. Yes. Um, the really great I feel, fight. I was about to say, it's... I'm assuming it's Japanese filmmaker because yeah. I know that they don't shy away from nope. re. I will say I won't say realistic because mm-hmm. it's not, but like hyper realistic, exaggerated depictions of violence. So there's a Toichi remake, which is the one mm. about the blind samurai, which I think I brought up last time in your family one. Actually, that was originally banned in America, mm. um, despite Tarantino producing it. Or yeah. um, the Tarantino production element came when. He was he saw it somehow and then very much wanted to introduce it to the states when mm. previously had been banned and then it ended up on HMV shelves attached to Kill Bill for like <laughs> a pound. Yeah, um, so that was cool. That's how I ended up seeing it actually. So good on Tarantino. Children of Men, of course. What a movie as well. Like mm. set in Bexhill, which is where we are at various points near the end when everything is totally fucked. Yes. In case you want a really glowing recommendation of the place you live. Future internment camp yep. for the end of the world is a pretty great one. Well, it'd be a great place for it because, you know, Dover... Because it's fucking miserable. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't worry. Um, I, I knew just... what you wanted to say. Yeah. And that you were going to try and be tactful about it. Yep. <laughs> no, fantastic place to live. As long as you don't have eyes. <laughs> so the other two main influences, and this is... If I had to do an actual elevator pitch mm. and say in two sort of pre-existing properties merged would be it. The Last of Us meets Waterworld. Yes, I had a feeling you were going to bring up Last of Us at some point. Because crocodiles are my giraffes. Excellent. Giraffes might have been alright, depending on where they were, because they got the long necks, they might be able to go along. <laughs> Keep fucking tripping on, like, cars at the bottom of the water. <laughs> How is there still trolleys down here? Yeah. God damn it. One of the giraffes has a trolley on each foot. And, and just skates. <laughs> Mastered their surroundings. <laughs> This is the comedy version starring Robert Downey Jr. as Dr. The Man, as Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> and John Cena as a polar bear called Yoshi. That's happening, that's a real thing, and take my money, basically. I can't remember who the other um, actors are in, but that is an all-star cast, that new Dr. Doolittle movie, and I will go. Uh, I will happily watch it, maybe not go cinema, but I will So we've established that the alternate title that we need for this movie is Dr. Doolittle 4, The End Times. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Hugh Grant. The end of Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle Endgame? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's too much. Okay, well, I want to make one thing clear, because I actually haven't... I, I went straight to criticisms. Mm. I know that's me, but I like it. Oh, I, I need to throw some praise at it. I like, obviously, having listened to my pitch for various things. I like character focus. Mm. I like it when things aren't spelled out and you have to do some digging and even that digging leaves it ambiguous. So did he have a family? Did he even work at the London Zoo? We don't know. Really? Obviously, you know, he's got some kind of... heavily implied. Yes. Um, but The family part, less so. That's mm. that's more of a maybe. But Um, we also like the fact that, you know, he's the mad eccentric who lost everything and, and is now just doing his own thing in this world. And he couldn't move on. Everyone else did, as you've said, because there are bodies mm. everywhere. He couldn't move on. So part of him slowly moving on is this kid helping him do so. So he's been on his own for so long. There's that brief moment mm. where he's like, all my friends are gone except the crocodiles. 
and that sort of like makes him break down from his usual fun personality. Yeah, yeah. That's one was... of two times that happens in mm. the movie. Once is when he gets his leg chopped off, and the other yes. time is when um, he actually stops and takes stock of everything that's happened to him. And that fucking like just does his head in. He's like, oh my god. But he gets snapped out of it rather quick by um, the kid being adorable. Okay. So I feel like the only thing that I really want to dig at mm-hmm. is kind of it's infuriating to me yeah. because it's one of the strengths of the film of where is everybody? Yes. But it's also that kind of thing where we see the two parents at the beginning mm-hmm. and they're just offed, obviously. Yeah. And the kid is left alone until Hugh Grant man saves the day. Mm-hmm. So the other thing to think about, right? Okay. So like, Can so I, why aren't there floating bodies is kind of what you came up with earlier. One question I have, okay, and I think this is, this solves my problem entirely, mm. is you have the people who kill the early scavengers not be the same tribe we encounter later. Well, it's, uh, it's not definitely said that Yeah, but like, sure, I make like it that. really so it's, clear. It's, like, it's, have them with scarves down so you can see their faces and it's not yeah. the, the weird cleft lip thing. No. Sure, so it is definitely a different tribe. Yeah, I so think, it implies I think, there are other groups of people mm, out there. I think okay. establishing Hugh Grant as being not like one versus a group, but alone in a complete tribal system is more interesting. Yeah, and that And is, it's a tiny detail, and it really doesn't matter to the overall structure of the film, but it's the kind of thing that would sell people on the setting, yeah. I feel, as someone who way overanalyzes minor details. But the other thing is we've got to um, figure out how we're going to do trailers for this. I also quite like... Well, it's just going to be a lot of the establishing long shots of the yeah. the scenes with Funny Hugh enough, Grant. of which are done by drone mm. directly from above. Um, yeah, we CGI the water. Yeah, it's easily done. Um, mm. So... Getting a sunny day in London. Now, that's the real challenge for CGI. CGI it, mate. Um, (laughs) Just CGI all of it. CGI Hugh Grant. CGI Hugh Grant, done. I'm sure he won't mind. But you may have noticed that the last episode we recorded, I spent a lot of time like going, oh, yeah, Westerns, right? They always have these long establishing Mm. shots where... There's one tiny bit of movement uh, and it's from really far away. It's very deliberately designed, yeah. This would bite off that heavily yes there would be um i wasn't going to say anything but i was like wow there's a lot of slow establishing shots yes. and um, slow plodding character development where have i seen this recently <laughs> the one of the other things that i've not mentioned this one so i'm not sure how to tie it in but this actually does 28 mm. days later have you seen that movie yeah of course great movie mm. but also that does the thing that is on the on the bridge at the beginning when he first wakes up. Mm. It's not London Bridge, I don't think. It's one of them. Yeah, actually, it is London Bridge because it's not Tower Bridge, which is something that Americans very regularly confuse. So the one from the end of... The one with towers has towers. The one called called London doesn't... Easier than that. There's one that opens up that That some folks can go through that has towers, and that one is Tower Bridge, and that's the one Mm. everyone thinks is London Bridge. Which hilarious. To be fair, Tower past, Bridge is the most British name for a bridge with towers. Well, it's next to the Tower of London. Exactly. Which is why it's Tower Bridge. And L- London Bridge, mm. brick by brick, original London Bridge, was, was bought by America and is in America now. So the new London Bridge is actually called New London Bridge, if I remember rightly. You've lost Something me. Something like that. But that's a true story, isn't it? Back me up on that. I don't. I, that's the first I've heard of it, honestly. Really? As, a, as, as somebody who used to live in London. I've got no internet I, I, down this end of the I believe corridor, you, don't worry. Trust me. America, if this is, America I know, bought I know, London Bridge thinking they bought Tower Bridge. I know what's going to happen, because mm. you're going to go and Wikipedia skim this after this conversation, mm-hmm. and everyone will be able to know if this is a true story or not, because if it's false, it won't be here. <laughs> Correct. I, just edit it out. I have the power of the final edit! Uh, Hooray. So, final sunken. Cl- closing thoughts. 
Sunken hmm. is a film about being really bored at the end of the world, but also having to make sure you can eat. And being chipper in the face of it, which I think is the most English thing about it. Having Hugh Grant I feel like whistling away and playing his harmonica. I feel like you could throw in some more like English mannerisms, like, you know, oh, uh, we've got 40 things of pot noodles, but also 20 tea bags. That's good, I like that. Well, like some, some kind of... Pouches of mustard. Yes, there's so a couple. There's a couple of bits and pieces. Mustard, Mars bars, bugger. There were yes. the times that I deliberately tried yes. to do that. Maybe I should have said bugger. I, fe- I feel like a really great, completely like undermining the tone of it all. But when the like enemy fleet arrives, just having the kid go bugger. That's <laughs> would have been pretty that's good. That's quite good. I do like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Put it in. Why not? There you go. That's 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 all I feel the need to contribute to this. This is pretty clean. This is a pretty complete story. Again, it's it's. Simple. There's not too many moving parts, hmm. but it all fits together quite nicely. Which is the only way I know how to do things. If I overcomplicate something, like I am going to get lost. In Says it the man who was listing off individual car types to me a few weeks ago. Don't lie. You can do it, okay, but fine. it just has to be in a very specific. <laughs> it has to be about cars, or it has to be in a very specific band of knowledge. Cars, Star Wars, or zombie movies, and I'll be fine. Okay. Well, you've done two of those so far. Yeah. This was almost a zombie movie because let's be honest, those tribes people were your zombie stand-ins. Yes, correct. they were. They were the other that needs to exist in a post-apocalyptic world, right? Yeah, and they were the, um, when we spoke at the beginning and you said, "Is this like Mad Max on the road?" They were the Mad Max element. That I was okay, to where in that particularly the new one, more so than the old, where they just mm. wore weird costumes. The yeah. new one, they've all got extreme body modifications, like yes. they've got weird piercings in their foreheads and stuff, mm. and some of them are just bleached white and look like skeletons, yeah. and so the. Slit down the middle of the top lip with the gums peeled up was directly inspired by that. And the football scarves. And the football scarves was your idea, and I'm not even sure it's a thing, but I do quite like it. To any football supporters listening to this who are offended by this, uh, just, don't, just don't eat people and you're fine. <laughs> I think on that note, we're, we're, we can wrap it up. Yeah, the elevator has stopped. Unfortunately, it's on the ground floor and it's completely submerged, but please <laughs> you can cut out those golem noises thank you for listening or not I don't know how you're hearing this if you didn't listen mm. this is not a good outro no. do I just do cut it or do you again? want to try again try again please okay ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening remember to check out our non-sponsor Dash Lane uh, they're not our sponsor but you know maybe if we up them enough they'll, somebody will give us money eventually for doing these things mm. and I won't have to sit here for an hour listening about Hugh Grant for no game too cynical again let's try the outro you get take one three I get chance. one last outro um, I prefer the try. one where I was drowning yeah just just layer that back in I got nothing I'm done I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that cool and I suppose next week the baton is passed back to me but you do get to do something that is um, fully derivative again. So you can. We're doing two on two, two off. So two mm. originals, two based in a real. So um, to gently tease what my well, next that, one will be. I mentioned puppets a while back. I know a lot about this idea. This won't be completely yeah. in the dark like this one was. Mm. I've heard some good things about this one. So you, you're going to um, want to come up with your next one. Uh, from the vast swathes of pop culture that exist out there in the real world. Star Wars. You're doing Star Wars? No. I think you can. We will, we will have a discussion at some point. I don't know if it'll be like a, an off-brand special okay. about the final Star Wars film, the last in the saga, until they want to make more money. Hmm. Uh, Rise of Skywalker will be coming out in between our availability to record yeah. pods together. In fact, we won't even be able to see it together 
Um, as we've seen every Star Wars film since we were old enough to see Star Wars films together. Well, I'll be back. You know, you don't. Indeed, have to watch we won't. It we won't see it day understand. one. Is what I'm pointing at. Correct. Too. So I worry that our opinions will be coloured by the vast knowledge yeah. web of the internet spouting yeah. out like this is bad. Because that's True. what they'll probably but do. But the good news is, if it is bad, I will have seen it in Spanish, so I won't understand <laughs> half of what was said. Excellent. And on that disappointing bombshell... Adios, amigos. It is time to end. See, si. Comprende. That's all my Spanish. Gracias, amigos. Ciao.